0: Welcome to Inside the Road, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark. In this episode, I'm once again speaking with Frank McAdoo. Regular listeners to the podcast will recognize Frank as a fellow partner and advisor at Coda Capital. And the fact that Frank manages and leads the portfolio management of the Keep Coda Enduring Equities portfolio, a collection of ASX-listed shares that Frank manages... This fund has had a compound annual growth rate north of 14.8% for the last 15 years, which is why we try to check in with Frank every six months or thereabouts. You'll recall from our last episode about six months ago that the portfolio had in fact been through a very tough time and in fact probably the toughest time the 18 months prior to when we last checked into Frank and in what a difference six months make in markets. The portfolio for the last three months, closing out the end of the calendar year 2023, was up 10%. This brings the compound annual growth rate of the portfolio to 14.8%, or just a little bit over since inception or over the last 15 years. We touch on a number of topics with Frank. We talk about the passing of Charlie Munger, who's been a huge influence with Warren Buffett on Frank and his outlook and a lot of people in investment markets. We talk about what Frank's keeping an eye out for in 2024 and his view on markets. Uh, the fact that the geopolitical state we have is uncertain. Uh, we have the US elections with also elections in, in India. Uh, we also talk to Frank about how he goes about keeping a long-term outlook and a long-term view when you have these short-term dislocations and distraction. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. It's always great to check in with Frank, such a wealth of knowledge. Please remember to share the podcast to friends and like and leave comments on the platforms that you use. We really appreciate that. Remember, you can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com with feedback and suggestions for episodes, which are greatly appreciated. Please, however, remember that this Podcast isn't financial advice of any sort. People are encouraged to receive their own advice, make their own inquiries, and listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast. With that said, enjoy the episode. Frank McIndoo, welcome to Inside the Rope, or I should say, welcome back. Thanks, David. Good to be here. Hope you're refreshed after your summer break. Yeah, pretty much. Terrific. Well, uh, as I flagged, you've been good enough to join us again. It's been. Uh, uh 6 months since we spoke and and what a difference 6 months makes uh last time we spoke we were talking about uh, keep which as a reminder to our listeners is the coda enduring equities portfolio a collection of approximately 18 to let's call it 25 Australian direct listed shares which are maintained in a portfolio by yourself and your team uh Frank and we we're talking about it having a very tough period a, a tough one year 18 month period and uh, the last quarter uh, or last uh, six months and even the last year numbers now look very good. Do you want to maybe talk us through that, please?
1: Yeah. So um, when you buy shares in a company, you're acquiring a future cash flow. And, you know, there are various things that go into what value you're prepared to put on that future cash flow. And one of the key inputs is what's the discount rate you apply Uh, and the foundation of that discount rate is the risk-free rate and that went down to sort of below one percent and the last couple of years we've seen it rocketing up to a more normal i should say you know four or five percent and so um with a portfolio like this which is particularly aimed at really good long-term growth stories um that change in the discount rate was much more painful for us than it would be for somebody with shorter term cash flow investments i mean to be honest it probably in the years when the interest rates were heading down to one percent that would have been a tailwind, which yeah, probably was flattered the performance. Um, and so we, you know, a, a, a tailwind turned into a very strong headwind. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, as long as inflation doesn't reignite in a significant way with 10 year bonds where they are now, you know, we're in. A not unreasonable sort of area where yes, it obviously still fluctuate, uh, you know, a, a percent up or down, but it won't go up three or 4%. So the portfolio
0: over the long term has returned in the order of 14 to 15% compound annual growth rate, which is terrific. And in the last 12 months, it's back to that sort of level after a period of more difficult times. Um, I take it from conversations with you, you didn't change any of your processes uh, during that pro- time, you know, when we spoke six months ago, tell us how hard is it not to change any of those? Because, you know, there's a lot of pressure um, and constantly day in doubt, I would imagine thinking of, you know, uh,
1: is this time
0: actually different?
1: Yeah, I mean, I look, thing is, um, you know, I've, set out the philosophy for the investments and something that's worked, I found that it's worked over some decades. Um, you know, it doesn't work in, you know, one year in, I mean, this particular portfolio has been going since 2008 and I think um, 2022 was the third, and uh, third year of underperformance. So perhaps we were due for one. And uh, you've just got to accept if, if you know, everybody says they're long-term investors. Being a long-term investor it me- means you're not going to be, uh, change your, your process in the short term, unless you think things really are different. I mean, you know, if you had a radically different attitude to corporate profits, in a given jurisdiction, where it was just clear they didn't want you to make any money, well, then you'd say, okay, well, that, that that's a regime change that you'd have to adapt to. Or, I mean, you do get occasionally you'll get uh, legislative changes which completely recast the economics of an in- industry. So you do you've you've got to be prepared to make those changes. But if if it's not a fundamental change, If it's just something that is cyclical um, or it's something that's a matter of uh, fashion and, you know, the financial markets are real fashion victims. Mm.
0: And, And I guess there's the crux of the question in that, how do you differentiate between a timing issue and being just wrong?
1: Well, um, they can look identical for a few years. So you, you've you just got to try and think it through um, uh, from fundamentals. And, uh, you know, you've got to talk to your clients uh, and make sure that they understand what you're doing so that they, they stick with the program. Because the worst possible thing is, I mean, this applies to clients with all sorts of strategies, you 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 need to have them uh, on board with it and have enough understanding that they accept there will be bad years or even bad couple of years and they'll stick with it because inevitably uh, you sell at exactly the wrong time if you allow yourself to be dictated to by the market. In fact, I can't remember who it was who said that he suspected sometimes that the market was just a construct to make him look like an idiot. <laughs> and it does it to us all, doesn't it? Um,
0: in talking about that, since we last spoke, of course, uh, I think uh, a great influence on markets has left us. Charlie Munger, uh, you know, the famous offsider to Warren Buffett and the source of many quotes and uh, one liners that I think uh, you've drawn upon. Uh, is no longer with us, sadly, but what a great contribution he made to financial markets and the world. Uh, How do you view Charlie's input to financial
1: markets, Frank? Well, um, Buffett would have to be the biggest, the most influential investor, certainly in the Western world. And Buffett would commonly say, you know, Charlie massively changed his approach. So you'd have to say, you know, vicariously, he's one of the biggest influences uh, that there is.
0: And Frank, in times like this, uh, I've heard you talk about what's coming up in this calendar year, 2024. Um, It doesn't seem that the world is getting any easier to read. Um, We've got 4 billion people going to the polls and most notably the US going to the polls where it looks like, uh, Donald Trump is marching towards the Republican nomination, uh, taking on Biden later this year. Um, I take it given that there's 4 billion people being quoted, going to polls, it means there's some other large democracies also heading that way. Um, India in particular, obviously. and, And there's no, uh, you know, there's not just one war being fought between Ukraine and Russia. We've got, uh, uh, hostilities in the Middle East, which seem to be spreading slightly, um, but where we don't where they end up, we don't know. H- how are you thinking about 2024? There seems to be plenty to be worried about. Although markets ended 2023 uh, with a huge uh, bull run, as if uh, you know, put the put the accelerator to the
1: floor. We're ready to go. Well, I think geopolitics. To the extent that it causes markets to suddenly drop, is more often an opportunity than than a problem. I mean, for example, uh, if you were somebody who tried to invest on a macro basis and you had correct you'd been slipped a note by your mates at Hamas saying that they're about to launch an attack on Israel and your friends uh in Yemen that they were going to start interdicting um uh, ships in the Red Sea, you would have immediately gone out and bought a whole lot of oil futures and lost an enormous amount of money. So, mm-hmm. you know, even after the event, you'd say, well, uh, knowledge of geopolitics there would have been a real handicap. Um, as I say, I mean, if there's a real change of approach, uh, like, for example, I mean, I, I can see as, I mean, I would have thought amongst geopolitical observations you'd make, I would think that a big increase in protectionism would be the one I'd have, you know, I'd have most confidence in that uh, thing, of course, recognising that probably means I'm 51% uh, chance of being right sort of thing. But, yeah, I think a lot of protectionism, mean, clearly with... China has insufficient demand, you know, from its own people who are fearful for the value of their assets. Uh, And it's an ageing population and a shrinking population. So there's just insufficient demand there. And China's response to insufficient demand there is to invest more in in exporting industries. And I think they're already of the order of 30% of global manufacturing and they want to take that to 50% and I would be very surprised if the Europeans and Americans and Japanese accepted that that's okay. Um, now, the timing of that you can speculate on, but I'd be very surprised. Uh, so any, any company that is particularly in an area subject to that sort of free trade uh, risk, Uh, particularly in the areas where China's targeting, you'd have to look look askance at them. Um, Actually, I was just thinking when you mentioned um, Charlie, one of the things that I remember him saying uh, was that, you know, uh, investment isn't easy and you're a fool for thinking it should be. I mean, if everybody's out there competing with their best ideas, why would it be anything other than hard? So, you know, that that's a slight consolation when I, I always do find it hard. So at least it's not my, uh, I'm not being paranoid or something. It is hard.
0: And and Frank, uh, how do you think about, you know, I often hear, um, and I've overheard you in the past with clients simply gauge uh, whether or not something is a good investment by how the stock behaves in the short term in that Well, that's obviously a bad investment because it went down last quarter. And, you know, I, I turn my mind to a company, maybe like CSL or ResMed or Cochlear, um, companies like this, which may not have been stellar performers over the last one or two years. Um, but I think by, you know, in long-term measures, they've been great investments, um, and in many people's minds, they're great companies. How do you think about that? And how do you talk about that?
1: Well, a basic idea of trying to pick individual stocks is you don't think the market's always efficient, mm-hmm. and therefore, if you if the whole basis is that there will be anomalies in pricing, some of those anomalies are that the the price is going to be artificially low. So, you, if you say it's a bad stock because the market says it's a bad stock, well, then you, all it means is. You're an efficient market uh, follower, you know, and, and in the strong form, so that if it goes down, that always means that it's a bad stock. Therefore, you shouldn't be picking stocks. I mean, it's the wrong game for you if that's your if that's your belief.
0: And how hard is it is it to maintain that contrarian view or that position?
1: Look, it is hard. I mean, it, as an advisor. Hopefully you set expectations for clients that sometimes things will go down before they go up. Um, so it's a question of, you know, building a relationship with a client where, you know, you say, well, here's the reason. You the, Ideally, the client will understand the reasons why the stock was bought. And if those reasons remain true, they'll be happy to stay with it.
0: And Frank, what are some of the stocks in the portfolio that have really tested you over the last 12 months where you think they're fundamentally very good businesses, but that's not being recognised by the market?
1: Well, um, CSL is an example. Another would be an extreme example is actually ResMed, which fell a long way uh, because people seem to believe or they're pricing things as if these new um, weight loss drugs like ozempic as if they were going to cure obesity and obesity is one of the contributors to sleep apnea which is what um, ResMed's main products are, are aimed at so if you believe obesity is going to be eliminated
0: then that's really bad for, so this, is an, this is an amazing trend that's going on in markets. Uh, what, what is the the drug that's behind that? Uh, I know that Zempic is the leading, but I think it's a GPL or yeah. that that's behind it and they're talking about a plethora of these drugs coming onto the market, uh, at the end of this year and next year in commercial grade. And they're talking about something like 50, 60 million Americans being, uh, obese if you take the bmi scale and if they get access to this drug on an ongoing basis a meaningful 20 30 percent of those people will not no longer be obese and therefore there's a whole heap of downstream second order uh consequences of which they're reading into this saying well maybe people don't need so many uh, sleep cpap sleep apnea machines because obesity is a huge input into sleep apnea um that's what's playing out there we're seeing that across many many different drugs i you know i hadn't turned my mind to resmed but that's being hit by that you're you're viewing that as a small tail risk or
1: not material in the short term well the first thing is the other big contribution to uh sleep apnea is aging mm-hmm. and they haven't yet got uh, a drug that you're all- for that <laughs> so- <laughs> We're trying, yeah, no, that, exactly. And I wish them every success. Um, sooner the better, but uh, I think that the human body is much more complex than you know, there are very few things which where you can just fix by taking a pill. And in my reading, my conclusion is that unless you also uh, eat a healthy diet and exercise a lot, the Uh, long-term advantages aren't sustainable and in fact the trouble is that people then they they eat less but they're still eating badly so they suffer from malnutrition and they lose a lot of muscle
0: so um, and and of course if they go off the drug and put the weight back on and it's a very expensive drug so staying on it's going to be challenging um and if they put the weight back on they have lost both fat and muscle but they tend to put just fat
1: back on which puts them even you know in That's a worse right. position i mean you could see you know if if the at the moment it's very expensive but if it became a lot cheaper i mean i think it would help some people but it would only help those people really who have the willpower to eat healthily and exercise mm. so i can imagine certainly would It would definitely help people who are highly motivated because their doctor said, well, if you don't lose weight, you're going to get diabetes and you're going to die in three years. I mean, if you've got the motivation, I can certainly see it helping some people, but I can't see it, you know, reducing obesity levels from, you know, 30% down to 1%.
0: Yeah, fascinating and one to watch that Ozempic. I think I probably need to do a, another whole episode on Azempic uh, and its effects on markets given the comorbidity and uh, what a big issue, um, you know, pe- people being uh, obese is uh, across the Western world, particularly. Um, Frank, what are some of the ins and outs of the portfolio? And that might give us a bit of an indication to some of those where you think uh, either things have changed in the thesis, or it, it was just not right in the first place. Uh, what What are some of the uh, names that have left the portfolio that, and, and some of that have, that have come in over the last year, for instance?
1: Well, there are very few changes, as usual. Um, probably the biggest
0: one... That takes you back to another sort of, I don't know if it's a Charlie or a Warren quote, is that, uh, you know, what, what is it I, I want to be... Um, uh, you know bordering on sloth you you'd know yeah. the
1: quote yeah no that's right it is um, uh, lethargy bordering on sloth is a hallmark of our investment style and yes. that's certainly that's certainly the case with keep so one of the ones which I think might have been in there for a, since the beginning was seek which yeah. I took out because it's it's cyclical, and I was thinking, well, this could be a bad point in the cycle. Um, and also the other reason for taking it out, uh, probably the bigger reason for taking it out, was uh, also car sales and REA are in the portfolio, and they've been two of the top performers over the last 12 months. So this was about 12 months ago. And I just felt having all three of those um internet and uh very I similar think, style of
0: businesses it,
1: i just felt to me perhaps that was you know they, they were correlated to to a degree and in fact the, the company that was substituted for it was james hardy which yes. is building materials uh and happily that was one of the best performers for the year so that was that's up over a hundred percent since we bought it. So, and And why is, why is James Hardy up a hundred percent since you bought it, Frank? Well, I think for some reason, people were, people were panicking about, uh, growth in the U S housing market.
0: This concept that, uh, because Americans, most of them have 30 year fixed rate mortgages that they wouldn't refinance to, uh, do up their home or renovate or build new homes as as uh, interest rates went up so suddenly if you were on a two percent loan rate and you had to refinance at five you you'd just keep your and stay in your older house because you were locked in at one percent that that seemed to permeate uh, yeah, the market no,
1: the, there's that i think there are a couple of other influences but anyway for whatever reason uh james hardy dropped a lot it actually had been in the portfolio half a dozen years ago and I stupidly sold it. But anyway, so I was happy to be able to buy back in uh, at what I thought was an attractive price. Uh, And certainly it's had a terrific 12 months. So, um, but you know, it's certainly illustrative of what I would regard as probably the biggest single challenge in running this portfolio is trying to find things that aren't correlated with each other because um, they are, you know, there's that degree of correlation because they're long-term growth stocks. So that makes them a little, you know, it can be uncomfortably highly correlated as, as it has was in um, 2022. So anything that I can do to reduce the correlation between the stocks, um, you know, it's a terrific thing to do
0: um any other notable names of uh, ins and outs some of those maybe smaller ones that you like to put in the portfolio that could be real bolters of the future
1: yeah well one that i it's probably because it only listed 18 months ago or something it's a oh, well, so, crisis uh, corporation um which is a wonderful bit of australian technology uh and they Explain were that's gold air or similar a machine yeah, so the, in, instead of what used to be an extremely dirty dangerous uh, chemical yeah. dangerous uh process of ke- chemical analysis at high temperature requiring very skilled chemists suddenly it's just a machine now admittedly the machine takes a um a shipping container to to, to fit it because it's quite complex a bit of gear, but they just subject the sample to some X-rays and then they measure the gamma rays that come off it. And then that gives them a very precise measure of the uh, gold gold. quality and it's very quick. Um, And you know, you could be in darkest Africa or wherever and you don't have to have a whole lot of skilled chemists. You just have this bit of kit and somebody can
0: press a button. And they so, tell you whether this is good stuff or bad stuff and whether you need to go and find more in the same area or not and commit your resources. Now, Frank, if I was right, when that floated or IPO'd, am I right in thinking that it was pretty lacklustre when it floated and if not may have traded down 20 30%, yeah. percent and then came back? Was that just a case of fundamentals coming through or was there there's something that was the catalyst of that move?
1: Um, well, I, I think, uh, it, give, it, given that it's, it's very early days for it, um, so it's very much people are buying for the long-term cash flows rather than the next years. It obviously was a, exactly the sort of stock you'd expect to be most affected by the increase in interest rates. And also, I think, even though I must say it was one of the most persuasive persuasive and interesting prospectuses I've ever read. um, You know, people like to see that the story is confirmed and it has recently done a a deal with one of the leading international laboratory uh, firms and one of the leading mining companies, gold mining companies, Barrack Mining. And that has validated it not just for investors, but also for other companies. So other companies now think, well, if if these guys have looked at it and they've committed to it, and they're going to buy a whole lot of these machines, well, no reason why we shouldn't. Um, so you know, it, it's been it's I forget what it was exactly up last year. Maybe it was 150 um, percent. So that was that was our best stock, and I, it, it's not going to do the same again this year. Uh, I, I suspect, but nevertheless, that's off to a very strong start. And, Frank, before we round out with the, with you giving
0: us some uh, thoughts of the reading list and maybe some of the streaming choices in the McIndoo household over summer, which are always interesting, um, how are you thinking about the US election and do you think it's going to have any
1: effect on markets around the world? Well, it's clearly going to have an effect on markets, Um I'm thinking about it as little as possible, to be honest, because I think probably, like most Americans, the idea of um, a Trump-Biden rematch is profoundly depressing. Um, Is that that really the best two candidates, uh,
0: the leader of the free world with $350 can uh, serve up?
1: Well, I've met many Americans who I think would do a better job, so uh, I I think there are more capable people. Having said that, the Americans, they have a way of uh, changing things very quickly. You could get a third party candidate or one of Biden or Trump or both. um, You know, maybe they have a fall. Say something, you know, with Trump saying, confusing Nikki Haley with uh, Pelosi the other day he wouldn't have to make many gaffes like that for people to suddenly think, well, gee, he's, he's a bit past it. I, well, he, I just don't know. I mean, he may,
0: may be incarcerated and US politics has a
1: yeah.
0: wonderful way of, um, the unexpected becoming yeah. the outcome. And, you know, 2016, nobody really expected Trump to carry the ticket all the way through. And when he did markets thought it was terrible. And then they sort of woke up about three weeks later and thought it was fantastic. Um, so yeah. yes, ha, ha, harder to, uh, pick than the proverbial, I think.
1: Well, and as I said, I mean, as with that example of, you know, the oil price and, the, yes. the police, you know, the mere fact, even if you knew who was the going outcome. to outcome. No, like I how it was much. going to
0: affect outcomes. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. We'll, we'll move across then to probably the interest for many, many listeners in the, in the past, you've given us a few tips for what's been, uh, popular streaming uh, in the Macandrew household or reading, why don't we start off with reading? Are there any books that you would implore people? I know, uh, certainly in CODA when we're, whenever we have interns about, or otherwise they get to avail themselves of the Macandrew financial library. What are some of the good things that you think are worth reading or for people wanting to get a better understanding of markets or better decision-making?
1: Uh, well, a book I read last year was called "The Hidden Half, which basically um, exposed how little we know about all sorts of things where we're we're quite certain we do know. um he gave the example of a there's a crab type of crab called the uh, marble crab, which, Sort of appeared somewhere um, in just in uh, some amateur collector's uh, tank. Nobody knows how it, go, how it got there, but it clones itself. So everyone is genetically identical to each other one. Uh, but if they put them in laboratories and they put them in identical conditions in terms of light, temperature, food, all the rest of it, they nevertheless are all radically different in size. You you can make no prediction as to how big they will be despite knowing all those conditions. So there you are, people think, well, it's a combination of nature and nurture. They're identical genetically, we treat them genetically, we treat them, we nurture them identically, and yet they're radically different. Okay. one of the most basic things that you would take for granted turns out not to be true. That's that's the thing he starts with, but he then applies it to all sorts of things like drugs and just all sorts of things. So that, the hidden half is oh, through The hidden half for reading, okay. And, and uh, that, But that's financial reading. I'm actually working my way through, slightly ha- more than halfway through War and Peace for the second time, which is a terrific read and brings back the days when... You know, Russia was one of the most civilised countries in the world, certainly produced some of the great literature. Um, And in terms of streaming, I did watch probably, it's a pretty silly one in some ways, although quite interesting, called Ragnarok, because I went to Norway uh, last year, and this is set in Norway, and it's a sort of modern retelling of, you know, uh, the Viking gods, and you know, the end of the world, Ragnarok, as they say it. But it's told in a modern way. Uh, but I would warn anybody not to watch the last episode because it's the worst ending to a series that I've ever seen in my life. Spoiler I mean, alert. Yeah, It was just shocking. Speculating with some friends of mine as to whether you know the director and the writer was shot before they'd managed to do the last thing and they had to get in somebody's kids but anyway it was terrible but the rest of it was quite funny ragnarok up until the last episode
0: there you go and the hidden half uh, talking about marble crabs and, yes. War and peace on that side well thank you very much frank it's been wonderful again having you uh, on the podcast. Hope to do it in six months more, and hopefully we're sitting on uh, six months of similar performance for Keep, which is always helpful. Um, Thank you for joining us once again at Inside the Rope, Frank. Not at all. Pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting CodaCapital.com.